decision. Our history and our future collide in this moment. If you want to see the blessings of the Lord your God upon your families, then you must serve Him only. But if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord your God only, then choose you this day whom you will serve. The gods that seek your destruction, that incite war and violence, that murder your children, or the Lord your God who is holy and reigns over all creation. I have made my decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, what a day this is going to be. I'm so glad you're here. What a time to be alive. What a time to be the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America at this time. Wow. What an opportunity to be what the scripture calls us, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Mm. Hey, I didn't say that. I did say it, but I'm saying it because scripture says it. All right. In this day and time, for some reason, the church has become afraid of the word truth. The church has become afraid of stepping up and declaring that truth. The church has become afraid of what other people think. This day, it ends for us as Vertical Church. Amen? Amen. Our series, as I'm sure you have seen on social media and the banner out front and the screen behind me, is called Pick a Side. What a time in our nation as we stand on the eve of an election. Now, I know some of you have come this morning a little bit apprehensive. I get it. My family has told me that for months now. (laughs) When I first brought up the idea, our staff had to spend an entire day talking about it so we could all get on the same page and drive down this road together. But I stand here with God-infused confidence and faith that this is the message for our day and our time and our church. I am not here over these next four weeks to promote a specific candidate. Let that be clear. I am not here to petition for a specific party. Let that be clear. I am here to speak on behalf of the scripture as a minister of the gospel of what it declares is truth. And based on that truth, it is my persuasion that we are called to vote and choose and pick a side. So may we as a church pick a side for conscience sake, for the calling we have May we base our decision on faith and the truth of God's word. Amen? Life has moments that require decisions. Moments where we have to decide to go one way or the other. Where you cannot remain neutral. Where you cannot stay out of the game, out of the battle. Moments where we as God's people have to step up to the line And step across knowing that he is the one who is guiding us. Knowing that we act in accordance with his word. Moments of decision are what open the doorway to great transformation in our life. You will not experience the greatness and the glory of God by not taking a step of faith. Even the step to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is a step. You don't just evolve into it. 
There's a day you repent of your sins and life comes alive inside you and you are born again. You didn't ooze into that situation. You were birthed into it by God. And God has always called his people to moments of decision. Moses stood before his people and said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Make a choice. Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Isaiah, here is the way. Walk in it. Joel, the day of Jehovah is near in the valley of decision. God calls his people to times of decision. And as we stand on the eve of an election, we face it with faith. We face it because you and I are the ones who have the responsibility as citizens to choose the leaders. I know we like to point fingers and blame leaders today for our direction, but our constitution says we, the people, we make the choice. If we don't choose based on our conscience, then we have the right to be silent. But if we act by faith in what God has called us to, then we can be the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit in this day. When we choose to vote, we are choosing our leaders. We are choosing a president. We are choosing congressmen. We are choosing state leaders, local leaders. We are choosing referendums. But more than those positions, you and I are choosing a direction for our nation. You and I have the opportunity to help chart the course for our nation. We are not electing personalities. We're not electing persons. We're electing a philosophy, a way of life, a way that we believe the nation should go, a direction. And therefore, we must take that responsibility with great seriousness. We must take it as people of God with great faith. I believe we stand on the eve of the most critical election in our nation's recent history. The sides could not be more clear. The choice for us must be ones that we make in faith. You and I are called to let our light shine, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and faith always demands a decision. It always requires you to respond in some way to it, to take an action as a result of it. As a result, as believers, we're not voting based on our personal opinions, based on what our family has always done, what's popular, or even what will not be very offensive. Our responsibility is to vote based on faith. Therefore, our first message in this four-week series is called Faith Demands a Biblical Worldview. You have a worldview. I don't have to give you one. You have one. Now, I know you probably have never sat down and written it out. You might not even know the major tenets of your worldview, but you have one. You have a way that you look at life. You have a set of lenses that affect how you see life, how you see struggles that come your way, how you see tragedy, how you see blessings that come your way, how you view the people in your life, how you view the church, how you view the economy, how you view government, how you view politics. All of that comes together 
to become your world view. Now, in the same way that many people have never sat down to consider their worldview, many people have never sat down to make sure that their worldview is actually based on Scripture. But that's what you and I are called to do with every area of our life, right? We want to bring everything in our life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is not a compartmentalized piece of your life, this Sunday morning, hour and a half event. If it is for you, I beg you, please get a bigger picture of you of life. Jesus wants to bless you. He wants to reveal his glory to you and in you. But for that to happen, he's going to have to become much bigger than a Sunday morning activity for you. So your worldview should be based on scripture. This is what we seek to do. Vertical's mission is to lift him up and live him out based on a worldview that sees him reigning over all we seek to then live that out in our lives we do that in our parenting our marriages our finances our talents our job our personal life our home life and we seek to do that even in regards to our view of government and politics Now, the Bible has much to say about governments and nations. So we start this series with an essential truth from the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This is a truth. This is not an opinion. This is not something that only applies to the church. This applies to any nation. When a nation is righteous, when it seeks to pursue the Lord and walk in his ways, that nation God will exalt. But a nation that becomes entangled, twisted, and obsessed with sin, it will become a reproach. That nation will fall into the reproach of others. In other words, it will have a weakened reputation, a weakened system of government, crime, and all types of immorality. It saddens me because I'm afraid the second part of this verse reflects more of who we are as a nation today than the first part. We have, as a nation, over the recent decades, rejected God in our classrooms, rejected God in science, rejected God in psychology, in business, in entertainment, in government, and even in public life. It seems that the only place he is allowed to have space is in a church, and there Those must not be too loud who gather. Our worldview, or the worldview of our culture today, is one that has dismissed God and dismissed the reality of truth. In its place, the culture has put itself in the place of God, its own ideas ahead of God's truth. And so what you get today is a a moral relativism. Big words that mean this. Truth is relative. Here's what you hear. You've heard this. Well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. How can that be? Truth is truth. I've heard this illustration used before by other pastors. I'll use it this morning. If you pull out of here today and you decide to go south on Old Villa Road and you come to this intersection and you say, you know, I know that light says red and I know I'm supposed to stop, but I'm just not feeling it today. I'm just feeling like I want to just call that green. I'm just going to call it green and go on through. 
You can do that all you want. But it's most likely that you're about to have a collision with life. Because you can't call something right that's wrong. Truth is truth. It's fixed. It's unchangeable. And that is what our culture has a very difficult time with today. We've taught it in our schools for a long time. And if, I'm sorry, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. If you've been a part of a public school system, you're probably struggling today already. Because you've heard it. You've been taught it. Truth is relative. Truth is true for you, but maybe not for me. And our culture has tried to break it down, remove it, and dislodge truth from who we are as a people. True for you, not for me. It's even kind of crept into the church a little bit. You hear among Christians, well... My faith doesn't see it that way. My faith looks at it this way. My faith looks at it this way. Look, there's not your faith, my faith, their faith, their faith. There's one faith handed down to us from God himself that's through Jesus Christ. One and one only. Here's the way. Walk in it. Truth comes from God. It doesn't come from us. I don't have truth in me unless God has revealed it to me. I'm not one who can come up with truth, and neither are you. Truth is from God. Truth is eternal. Truth will last longer than just your life. Truth has always existed, and truth will always exist. You either fall down on truth, or it'll fall down on you. That's just how it works. That's not been a message that's been very popular in recent years, I'm afraid that's why we have got to where we have gotten as a nation. So as a result, you have a culture today that if you're like me, sometimes you look at it and scratch your head and think, how in the world did they come up with that? How can you come to that conclusion? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? What are you thinking? You hear me? You know what I'm talking about. There, there is no logic anymore. There is no fixed truth. They call wrong right and right wrong. Relativism says there's no God. There was no beginning. There's no end. There's no judgment. There's no law. There's no truth. There's only my reality. And my personal feelings are supreme. What I want to do is what I want to do. And that is truth, the culture says today. So today, if a man says, you know, I feel more like a woman than a man. I think I'm a woman. No, sir. You're just trying to be something that you're not. You're rejecting the design that God has for you. There is one truth. If you're born a male, you're a male. That's what God designed for you. Relativism says, well, I can be what I want to be. That's why today, in some unusual way, the culture says there are now 72 different possible genders that you could be. Yeah, I know what you're feeling right now because I'm like, huh? How do you... You have to twist things crazy like to get to that but that's what's happened in our world today everything is justified because truth as being objective and from god has been removed truth is whatever i want it to be feel like it should be in the moment as a result we've become like the time when jeremiah said this is a people who for who have forgotten how to blush. I'm afraid that's our day today. Things that were once sacred and long-held traditions, truths in our country have been demeaned, torn down. Anything is justified today because of a person's feelings. I can justify lying. I can justify immorality. I can justify evil. I can justify stealing. I can justify mob violence because this is how I feel. As a result, the greatest virtue in the culture today, 
what they say is the epicenter, the apex, the highest quality is that of tolerance. I'm to be tolerant of another person's feelings and expressions and ideas. I realize that there is room for Christian tolerance, but that's not what the world wants today, especially from us. They don't want us to be tolerant. They want us to celebrate what they do. They want us to buy into what they do. They want us to champion what they do, even though it goes against our convictions, and we cannot do that. To them, tolerance is the highest virtue. The greatest wrong to the culture today is anyone who would speak out with a definitive, fixed truth. The minute you say, that's wrong, that doesn't glorify God, you are labeled by a lot of different names, and you have just committed the greatest cultural offense. The greatest response in the culture today is to then cancel you. You don't like it? I just cancel you. I just somehow X and you just somehow disappear. Doesn't work that way, though. But that's what the culture seeks to do. And their greatest goal is to silence the truth speakers. And friends, that is you and me. We are the remaining truth speakers on the planet. We are called as the church, as the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, as I said, Satan's not content with affecting the culture. He wants to infect the church. And I'm afraid this concept has crept in to churches today, too. Because people like to pick and choose what parts of the Bible they want to follow. People want to leave off what's uncomfortable. People don't want to be told that they are sinning. People like the mercy and love and forgiveness of Jesus. They like that gospel that just makes you feel all ooey inside. They like this Jesus that's not really too offensive. He's just always kind and quiet and meek and just walking around smiling at everyone. That's not the Jesus I know from Scripture. I'll give you kind of a, a pre-announcement teaser here. Beginning of November, I'm starting a new series with our men at our men's breakfast, 6 a.m. men on Wednesday mornings, full breakfast and a full study. November, we're going to start a study called Offensive Jesus, the inconvenient truth that nobody wants to talk about. But Jesus really was, at times, offensive. I mean, he was the one that said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that all sounds pretty to us today. But in Jesus' day, you might as well have just walked up to every religious leader and slapped them in the face. Because you were saying, none of you are right. And Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's limited. That's strong. That's narrow. That's offensive. You see, people don't like to have to own up to their sin. The Pharisees didn't like it. The Jewish leaders didn't like it. But if nobody is confronted in their sin then no one will ever say, I need a Savior. If no one is ever confronted in their sin, then no one ever sees the need to repent. If no one ever sees truth, then there is no change that comes to their life. So as we begin our series, I need to just lay down some groundwork here. And I hope it makes you a little uncomfortable. Because truth should do that. So let me clear up some deceptions that Christians have believed today. Here's the first one. That the church should be separate 
from the government. Separation of church and state, you know. Have you heard that before? Oh, yes, you've heard it a lot. And here's how you've heard it in the culture today. You've heard that the church should stay out of the government. That's what you've heard. That's what you've believed. That's what's been told to you. That's what's been taught. But let me tell you where that came from and see if it doesn't change your mind a little bit. Thomas Jefferson is the one who came up with the concept. Thomas Jefferson was the one who had seen the power of England to control the people, even their religious practices. So when starting a new nation, he wanted to make sure that the government stayed out of religious practice, a separation of church from the state. It was never to keep truth and the church out of government, but to keep the government's grimy hands out of the church. Let me, yeah, amen, amen. Let me just read to you Thomas Jefferson's words so that you don't just take this as my opinion. Two quotes this morning. The first, he wrote, no power over the freedom of religion is delegated delegated to the United States by the Constitution. Second quote. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none, none other for his faith or his worship, that the legislative powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. That's where it came from. But boy, that's been twisted today, hasn't it? We've been told another story. We've been told to get back onto our property, get back onto our day and get out of the culture that could not be further from the truth. Our nation was built on the foundation of faith. 29 of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence held seminary or Bible college degrees. Seminary degrees, Bible college degrees, these were learned men of faith. All 250 of what are considered the founding fathers of our country had some involvement in believing God or church. Every one of them. Don't tell me that our nation was not founded on principles of faith. Faith was never meant to be separate from government. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing in the law how God laid out a plan for how faith and government went together. It's been part of the plan all along. Deception number two, a truth we must speak and not be afraid of. Here's the deception. Politics is a bad word, right? Everybody, the minute you hear politics, everybody just has this, right? And you get, you get a little sour in a conversation. You're out with friends, and they say, let's talk about politics. You're like, oh, no, let's just don't. I mean, depends on what friend it is, right? Depends on which group it is. Sometimes it's like, well, let's bring it on. Let's do it, you know? And especially in church settings, the minute the word politics is mentioned, everybody's like, oh, God. Here we go. Why does he have to do that? Look, here's the deal. You've been sold a bill of goods again. The word politics is a word that means the science of civic responsibility. The science of government. The plans for governing. There is nothing wrong with the word politics. You and I have a bad taste in our mouth today. Because we have watched the culture remove God from politics, and it is this soupy, slimy mess of out there today. Are you with me? 
And that's why nobody wants to talk about politics. Hey, like every area of life, politics needs to be redeemed. Church needs to be in it. Faith needs to be involved in it. It needs to be cleaned up. It needs to be served up to God and brought for his purposes only. Amen. Faith was meant for every area of life. People don't like politics today because the people involved in it often are people of no character, no truth. They live for themselves. Deception number three. This is probably the most popular one. Jesus was not involved in politics. Wrong! Man, I've been waiting to say that for a long time. I feel better just saying that. The New Testament shows over and over again how Jesus was involved in politics. Really, it's true. Now, you got to understand some things. First of all, Jesus didn't live in a time that was a democracy. The people did not have the opportunity to vote. So you don't hear Jesus saying, vote responsibly based on your faith. It wasn't an option. You couldn't do it. In fact, there's not any of the New Testament that was written where the people were part of a democracy. That's why you can't find it there. Does that help a little bit? Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, they all wrote from a perspective where the government was king. And often you had to bow your knee to one or the one true king. But Jesus was clearly involved in politics and even in conversations about political leaders. You and I read terms today like Pharisees and Sadducees, and we think that that was equivalent of church, but it was not. They were religious political leaders. In Jesus' day, Rome ruled, and the Jewish leaders ruled with them together. They were both political powers. And Jesus did not shy away from some very uncomfortable conversations about those religious political leaders. On one occasion, Herod was threatening Jesus. And the Pharisees came and said, hey, Jesus, you you better get out of town because Herod is coming to kill you. By tomorrow, you'll be dead. Now, you can just look this up for yourself. Jesus responds and says, you tell Herod, that fox, that I'm healing and I'm casting out demons. I'll leave in a couple of days when I'm finished. You hadn't seen that, have you? It's there. On other occasions, Jesus spoke pretty strongly to the Pharisees, enough that would make all of us uncomfortable. You just imagine you're with Jesus, you're hanging out, you've seen him do miraculous things, he's loved you, you love him, and you're like, this is going to be awesome. And then Jesus walks up into a group of other religious leaders and political leaders, and Jesus says to them, I am from above and you are from beneath. You are like snakes. You are like tombs, you know, where people are buried, and you're all painted over pretty and white, but man, you stink on the inside. You are from your father, the devil. Like, okay, yeah, I thought this was going to be a lot different, Jesus. This is not what I was expecting. I'm telling you, there was a side to Jesus that was very political, very confrontational, very truth-based. Even the story of the widow who gave much with her two mites. You know the story. We like to think of it as though, you see, we we do this funny thing with Scripture. We read it as though it's in our context. So we like to think of it was in a church setting, and the usher comes by and passes an offering plate, and this little widow pulls into her purse, and she pulls out all she has, really, and she offers it to the Lord, you know, in the offering. And that's what you and I think. That's not what happened. She was paying a tax that had been levied against her by the religious political leaders. And when Jesus tells that story and calls them out, 
He's confronting their abuse of people like her. Their wicked laws and their wicked heart that was taking advantage of her. That is a political conversation. And Jesus wasn't afraid to get up all in it. This is who Jesus was. So with those few things down, that we've established some groundwork, over the next four weeks, I'm going to introduce to you eight biblical truths that demand a decision that should serve as a framework for you and I as Christians as we go to the polls to vote. Two today, two next week, the week after, and the week after. There are a lot of issues out there today. There's a lot of opinions about all of them. There are some issues that have a higher level of importance. I've chosen these eight because I believe they fall into that category. You could have opinions about many others, but the scripture speaks strongly about these. And these have to be where we build our foundation for making a decision. And faith always demands a decision. We enter into these humbly. We enter into them confidently knowing we're basing a decision based on faith. Here is truth number one. God designed life to begin in a mother's womb, and taking that life is murder. Amen. This past week, our family was blessed by God because our sixth grandchild was born. Yeah. Amen. Taylor and Nick are now proud parents to Avery Rose, and they're watching from home this morning. Hello, Taylor, Nick, and Avery. So after seeing that experience, I mean, I wasn't there in the birth, you know, but Heather was. I was not. But coming in afterwards into their home and seeing the joy, seeing this little life uniquely crafted by God, with his fingerprints all over her. I just couldn't imagine how someone could choose in what are now seven states in our United States that up to the day of birth, a doctor can take that baby's life. And murder him or her. That's allowable in our United States, in seven states. You see, if we're choosing a direction, a philosophy, and we're basing it on a biblical worldview, then we have to begin with big issues. Who is God? When does life begin? What is the value of life? And all of those are answerable in Scripture. And it is the government's role to do two things according to Romans 13. To bring justice against evildoers and to praise those who do good. If a leader or a philosophy does not value life does not protect the innocent, does not stand as justice for those who cannot speak, and does not honor God in his law, I cannot see how a biblical worldview could support that vote. The scripture speaks clearly on this matter on numerous occasions. David wrote in the Psalms much. Psalm 139, verse 13, he wrote this. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. 
David said, God, you are the one who shaped me, designed me, intricately wove together my parts. He says, when they were yet unseen, while in a mother's womb. God has created us in his image so that we can know him. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for saving me. Life begins at conception, not birth. A baby inside a mother's womb moves. You can see his eyes, nose, ears, full shape. This baby responds to pressure, sound, light. This baby is alive. The scripture says that the day you were born again by faith, that in that moment, the word of God, which Peter described it as the seed, came together with the spirit of God and your soul. And in that moment, you were made alive. The moment you believe, the word of God caused you to come alive. And therefore, you were born again in that moment. The minute the seed of a man interacts with the egg of the woman, that is when life begins. Anything done to take that life, according to the Bible, is murder. You can spin it like you want. You can turn it however you want. You can add your opinion on top of it. But your truth does not stand greater than God's truth. And just so men would always be clear, God had Moses write in the law this from Exodus 21. If for some reason some men fight and they hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. If that baby is harmed in any way, whatever harm came to the one who caused her this pain should suffer the same. Scripture could not be more clear. The baby is alive, and there are consequences for those that take that life. Today, there are those who don't want this truth proclaimed. There are those today who violently oppose this truth. A popular newscaster Thursday of this past week said that those who believe like this must be, quote, prosecuted, convicted, and removed from our society. Friend, that is me and you. This election is different than ever before. Biblical truth number two, the second one that we will look at today, the final one, is this. God designed two genders, male and female. Marriage is for them only. Anything else is a distortion of his glory. It's truth. Just because you feel differently doesn't mean that's true. How many of you always, always feel like getting up in the morning? 
How many of you always, always feel like praising God in the midst of a difficult situation? How many of you always, always feel like loving your spouse the way you should according to God's ways? (laughs) Yeah. Way to go, Max. Nice. (laughs) He's a better man than all of us. (laughs) Hey, life is about is not about what I feel, right? I mean, you and I are called to live by faith. And faith don't care about your feelings. It's truth, it's truth, it's truth. We walk in it, we humble ourselves before it, and we do what it says. There are not 72 genders. There are not four genders or three genders. There are two genders today. I'm sorry if you're confused about which one of those two you are. You should come see me. We'll talk. God has a purpose for creating male and female. They're by his design. They didn't just evolve by happenstance. It didn't just turn out that they were a good fit. They are his sovereign design. A man who marries to love his wife is a picture of Jesus laying down his life for his bride, us. A woman who is married is a picture of the church loving Jesus faithfully. This relationship of husband and wife is the boldest picture of the gospel on the planet. I'm grateful for the church that presents the gospel, but it's what you do in the home as a husband and wife that will tell your children that this gospel is worth believing because you picture Jesus and the church there. And if it's not happening there, when they walk in here, they're going to be confused and they're going to be uninterested because you are saying one thing and doing another. Marriage is how we preserve the message of the gospel. Marriage is the setting for raising up future generations. Marriage is how stable homes are built. And marriage is God's design. It's for this reason that the book of Leviticus, also the law in the Old Testament, is very plain. Leviticus 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. This does not mean that someone who has feelings for another gender or has even lived in that lifestyle cannot be loved by God. They are loved by God. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't ever come to a church. They should. They should to hear the gospel. They should come and see what this Jesus is about and see what truth says and see how to be free. My guess is everybody in this room has someone that you know as friend or family that is a homosexual. And our call as the church is to love, receive, and show them truth. But we cannot approve, condone, or celebrate their actions. I cannot. And believe it or not, it is possible to be a Christian and be the church and love someone but still say no to their activities. And that's what we are called to do. What God's plan is is what we find in Ephesians regarding marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Beautiful picture of not just a husband and wife, but God and man. 
that we would leave our old life, our guilt, our shame, our stubbornness, our selfishness, and that we would be drawn to him so that through his sacrifice and redemption, we become one with him, us, sinners, one with God. There are many in the culture today who are very aggressive with an agenda for LGBTQ and the other 60-plus letters that you could put with that. That group today wants to force businesses to act against their convictions, to force businesses like bakeries to bake cakes for groups and events specifically that they have a conviction against. There are groups today who want to make sexual preference equal to race when hiring. There are groups today who want the church to have to equal hire LGBTQ. There are groups today who would like to stop what is happening right here, right now. Truth being spoken against sin. That's why these are important issues. We've got six more to go over the next three weeks. I hope you'll come back or watch online because these serve as the framework and the foundation for how we must shape our worldview and then act. I'm afraid that we live in a day today like is recorded at the end of the book of Judges. There it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. True for you, true for you, true for you, not for me, not for me. True for you, everybody do what you think is right. No leader, no king, no God. Total chaos in a culture. So this is our time today as the people of God. This is our time to stand strong. This is not the time to run. This is not the time to cower. This is not the time to throw up our hands in defeat. This is not the time to believe the lies that the world has fallen prey to. This is our time to return to Jesus, repent of where we've been, and be the church who stands for truth today and says, I will pick a side and I will call my nation. Pick a side. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord today, then choose, choose you this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. I would ask you to bow your heads together Would you pray today. Our Father, you have chosen us for this day and this time. We have not arrived here by accident. We have not come upon this scene by chance, evolution, or our own choosing. You have placed us here. You have placed us in yourself and in this church here in Ovilla. And you have a purpose for us. And now as we hear truth today... You have done your part in speaking. It's now up to us to decide how we will respond. I pray for a spirit of great boldness, conviction, clarity, and where necessary, repentance. Repentance that says, God, I have just been walking in darkness, I've been asleep. I've been deceived. I've been led astray. But that ends today. I return to you, my Lord. 
I come back to live my life by faith with a view that has you reigning over all, with a view that places you as the one who directs my path, with a view that brings every part of my life under your lordship. And Father, I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful that you've put us together for this time. I pray we would be exactly what you've called us to be, light, salt, ambassadors, and the pillar and the ground of truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 What a powerful Sunday. We are so glad that y'all are here with us this morning. If this is your, your first time, we'd love to connect with you. Come to the Welcome Center after the service. This is Barry. I'm Roseanne. And here's your announcements. Oh. You want to do this one first? All right. So we're going to do this one first. All right. So we're kicking off. We're kicking off soon our midweek studies for men and for women. One of the studies that I'm going to be leading will be on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. starting November 3rd. Um, Life is full of bad news. There's lots of heartache that we have to go through. But we have to remember the fact that God has given us good news. So in this six-week study, we're going to study the books of Roman, the book of Roman, and six parts of it that will go through life, grace, faith, God's plan, relationships, and eternity. And we'll learn that when life gives us bad news, that we will have the good news to transform and to change us. I'm also super excited to announce that Dr. Barry Seif will be teaching a class on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., and she's going to tell us about it. It's going to be a six-week study on six Hebrew names of God in the Bible. And uh, I don't think there'll be child care, but you can bring babies. I welcome any kind of participation, even the crying babies or whatever. <laughs> the first Hebrew uh, name that we'll look at is Seha Elohim, the Lamb of God. You don't need to bring anything. Materials will be provided, and you'll get to learn some Hebrew. We welcome you. Wednesday at 9 o'clock, November the 4th. Yes. It's going to be so great. I'm so excited. Um, The men is also going to be kicking off a new study on November 4th at 6 a.m., which is going to be called Offensive Jesus. Pastor Brian was telling you some about it. Um, So there's an inconvenient side to Jesus that people don't like to talk about. He was offensive. And that's what truth is. It offends us and it calls us to change and to repent. So come and check it out with Pastor Brian and learn about a different side of Jesus that you may not be familiar with. And we also offer on Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m., Uh, we have the Restoration Bible Study. Uh, Restoration is at the heart of the gospel, and Jesus came to save those who were brokenhearted and to meet them where they were at. And we want to meet you where we're at. So if you're interested in learning more about that study, I invite you to uh, talk to Brad and Jana Vandenberg, and they can tell you more about it as well. And if you want to sign up for any of these studies, check out our Facebook link on our Facebook page, and it'll lead you to sign up. Uh, there's an okay glow worship elevate the kids ministry on October 25th at 10:30 in the morning we're gonna have a I guess celebration costume party and the children are encouraged to wear a costume and uh, this made me remember that when I worked for a company we actually had a costume party and costumes don't have to cost a lot of money. I took a glad trash bag, cut the neck, two arms. I filled it with paper. I covered it with aluminum foil, put aluminum hat on with a little thing that said Nestle Kiss. And I went as a chocolate kiss. So you don't have to spend a lot of money on a costume. Just come and prepare to have fun. That's right. That's right. Um, and we also want to remind you about our event coming up on October 18th at 6 p.m. that David Barton is going to be coming to talk. He is a recognized authority in our Christian heritage in America. Um, and he is also a sought-after author, podcast host. He's got a YouTube channel and radio host, and we get to have him here at Vertical. So come and check it out. There's also a, an event on Facebook for this event. So make sure and share it. Invite your friends. It's going to be really, really good. Um, October 18th at 6 p.m. And then I believe baby dedication mm-hmm. is coming up. Yes. On um, November 20th. Uh, 
and then the, there is an informational meeting on November the 8th, and yes. it's for family dedication as well as baby dedication, and it's a beautiful, beautiful yes. time. So if you're interested, again, Facebook information, yes. but also November 8th, informational meeting. Yes. And these are your vertical That's announcements. Right. All right, um, let me do one thing. We're about to do baptism. I'm excited about that. Let me say one thing before we do. One thing I did not mention in the, seer, in the message this morning, I want to make clear. I, I spoke grace to those who have walked in homosexuality or sexual struggles, but I didn't say that for those who have walked through abortion. Let me assure you, If that has been a choice that you've made, at the feet of Jesus, there is healing. There is redemption. There is forgiveness and complete removal of that sin from your account. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me uh, have Violet come on up here. Violet Cardona came a couple of weeks back, and she talked to me, and she said, I've come out of a life where I've been active in church. But she said, yeah, come on over. Come on. She says, I, I want a personal relationship with this Jesus. And so she's prayed and received him. And she says, and I want to be baptized. So that was a little while back. So here we are today getting to finally do that. I'm excited for her. Now, she's a little bit nervous in case you can't tell. Violet's also about to leave to go join the Air Force. Yeah. yeah, what a step. So I would like to see if there'd be some who have a military past or present who'd like to come stand with her for just a moment. We're going to pray for her before we baptize her. She's taking a big step, and those who have taken that step before, you know what's ahead for her. You know what these next weeks and months are going to be like. You know what she needs in the way of support and encouragement in her faith. Is mom near? Is she coming up too? Yeah, come on up, mom. We want you to be here for this as well. So, Violet, take a look around at all these folks right here because they have uh, they've walked where you've walked. And they survived. And God used them and is still using them. So y'all come gather around here in front and let's uh, let's pray for her. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that into every area of this world and life, you call people to serve you. I thank you so much for Violet. And with great courage, she's come and said, I want to be a Jesus follower, and I want to make it known. And so she comes today for that. And how epic the timing that it would be right before she leaves to go to train to be in the Air Force. God, you have a purpose for her life. You have destined her for this. I pray that the faith that she displays today with courage will increase as she walks into a place where faith may not always be popular. I pray you'll give her the courage to stand strong because I know if you've called her to it, you have a purpose there for her in it that there would be those who come to know you because of the light that's in her, that there would be those whose lives are transformed because of what you do in her. We pray for her safety. We pray for her protection. And we will stand with her through this whole process and we'll be excited to see how you use her. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Violet, come on up. Yeah, come on. We'll just make our way back here. Uh, If you want. Yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah. I'm going to roll my sleeves up. Yeah. Come on in. The water. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's warm. Yeah. Well, Violet, this is a decision that you've made. No one forced you into this. The Lord Jesus calls you to it. I want you to take in this moment for just a moment. Look around all the people here that are part of this. They're a testimony to you, but your life is a testimony to them because you're boldly saying, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that Jesus rose for me. 
and now your old life is being buried. Whatever is in the past is not just in the past. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. It's washed away. And you're about to be raised up out of this water, and it'll be a picture to you of new life, of new life in you, new purpose for your life, new closeness to God. And how fitting that it would be right at the time when you're about to make this big step. I'm grateful for you. So I baptize you as my sister in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life.